I'm Dana Lloyd. Welcome to Soul Sister Conversations, the podcast, where you will be inspired and empowered to connect more deeply with your authentic self as we explore topics of personal development, leadership, and spirituality. Your journey to your most authentic self starts right now. Imagine having suffered several major illnesses in a short amount of time by your mid-30s. What would you do? Would you shut down or find a way to heal? Margot Gadette shares her powerful story of overcoming her illnesses, but what she discovered about herself was the key to healing. Here is a sneak peek. Margot says, closing myself off to the pain closed me off from feeling everything. And in order for me to truly heal, I needed to feel it all. This woman is resilient and she offers up her healing path and the insight she gained along the way in this week's episode. Welcome, Margot Gadette, to Soul Sister Conversations. Hi, thank you for having me. (laughs) I'm so happy that you've decided to have this conversation with me. Um, It's a first for you, which is exciting to be on a podcast, Mm -hmm. but you are in a long line of people who are willing to share their story, so I'm totally appreciative of that. And I met you back last year when we were at the uh, Soul Tribe live conference with Elizabeth Gilbert and mm-hmm. and we kind of had a quick exchange and you had this amazing story and it just totally overwhelmed me and at that time I think you had your story detailed in a, the book called The Great Canadian Woman Strong and Free where you told your story and I'll jump right in uh, with what that basically was and you were diagnosed with MS mm-hmm. and a year before that diagnosis you suffered a heart attack that then the doctors realized was brought on by Addison's disease Mm -hmm. three weeks later you were hospitalized for congestive heart failure (laughs) and in there you had thyroid cancer and this all occurred within 22 months and you were only in your early to mid 30s and that's a pretty overwhelming story and I was curious you know as this reality began to unfold for you what were your initial thoughts they just kept suffering illness after illness at a young age Um, it, it was just, I guess I was just hanging on. It was really just hanging on and trying to get through my days, just day by day. Um, now that I look at it, ask why me, um, plenty of times, plenty. Mm. (laughs) Um, yeah, it was, uh, I think it was that it was just the trying to survive every day just to get through my day. Um, And it really hit what happened at the end. Like after all of the diagnosis, I felt like I crashed. After Mm -hmm. the last one, it was just like, I can't, I, I can't go on anymore. Like what's going to be next? How can I keep going? How? Um, So that was, I think that's where everything came crashing. It felt like everything hit me behind the head and just like, I just, collapsed because it was like I can't take on anymore and when you asked why me which I'm glad you said that because there's so many times (laughs) I listen to stories and someone will ask them did you ever ask why me and they're like no never and I'm like seriously I think that's the first question you know I would look at people and think well they must be very spiritually attuned not to ask why me and I think it's a very valid and fair question and when Mm. you ask that question did you come up with any answers 
Um, I came up with a whole lot of answers, and I think every time I ask, it's like a different answer. Um, yeah. <laughs> some... and, and did you come to any sort of bottom conclusions eventually, or can you tell us what some of those thoughts might have been? I think some of it was the circumstances of stress, because a lot of those illnesses mm. um, are highly triggered with stress. Um, I think some of the personal stuff I was living through at the time. And I think spiritually, um, I always wanted to sort of have the space to gather people, like-minded people. I've always been very interested in like agriculture, but like permaculture, biodynamics, that sort of like woo-woo stuff that people aren't Mm -hmm. <laughs> a little bit more now, but not in the time. So I just told right. myself, I would always tell myself, well, I can't teach anything because I haven't really lived any huge life traumas or, you know, the only people that can teach stuff are people who have had like major accidents or major illnesses or whatever. And therefore I'm disqualified from having anything relevant to say or anything interesting or anything educational. And then at one point I was like, well, there you go. Like, did I manifest this? Because I thought I had nothing to say. So. <laughs> right. And as you're saying that, I'm like, that's not lost on me <laughs> that you were basically saying to the universe, well, I don't have any huge traumas. Um, Good gracious. Because when you say, because what, what you're referring to, you know, you have Maven Hill Farm that you founded in 2018. Mm -hmm. And this is something that obviously was a long time dream that sort of lived within you having a space where, is this a, a working, you live on the farm and, but it's a working farm. Is that? A, it is. Uh, yeah. It's uh, our family dairy farm, first of all. Um, and then in 2011, I divided like a little piece of it for to build a house. And there was already this was like an extra piece of land that we had purchased years ago from a neighbor. Um, so I mm -hmm. sort of revived this little farmstead again. Um, and it already had old barns on the property that weren't being used. Um, so in 2011, we built a house up here and I started doing retreats right away in 2012, but I had never really advertised anything. It was just word of mouth and a few retreats a year. And it wasn't anything because I was sort of paralyzed in that fear. I've never done this. I don't know how to do it. I can't do it. I, so I just, it was word of mouth and on occasion. And then after all these illnesses and my, my dog passed away, which was, he was like, I call him my special needs dog. So I don't know, everything just came crumbling. And it was like, you know what, maybe it's time that I officially start something here. Because if I don't do it now, I will never be ready. I will never do it. I will constantly be putting it off because, you know, this isn't finished. This isn't done. This isn't ready. So it was like, you just, you need to do it. You need to start and do it. And that's where the Soul Tribe kicked in and I joined them and they sort of launched this and they helped me find a name for the farm and it was just made official. So so when you started doing retreats in 2012, so obviously you had this longing and you felt all this doubt, and but you eventually found the courage to do it anyway. When did the illnesses begin to occur? Was that around that time or before that? Was that what launched you into um, it was, finally executing your dream? I would say I went through a divorce in around two, 
2009-2010. Um, I think that had to do with it, and then just other factors after that. Um, and in 2013, 2012-2013, I really was not feeling well. And I would go to the hospital because I would have bouts of, I would collapse on the floor, I had no energy, um, I had symptoms of what felt like a flu and what looked like a flu, um, just the vomiting and diarrhea and all of that, and it would last for like three, four days, and when I was crawling on the floor, I would get driven to the hospital, and um, it, it, the staff would just laugh at me, and it was like, it, it was a big joke all the time. The only really? thing they did was do pregnancy tests. And it was like, well, you're not pregnant. We just put two IVs in you. You can get up, go home. And so that journey at the hospital was very frustrating for me for years because it was like I knew I knew my body wasn't well. I knew I wasn't feeling well. There was something wrong. But yet every time I went for help for the people that should know, they they weren't there for me. All they did was pretty much laugh at me and send me home. You know, like, oh, you're not pregnant. You're not pregnant. I know I'm not pregnant. That's not what I'm here for. So right. that was... But they couldn't find out what it was. But I think the frustrating part was that they didn't even try. Mm -hmm. It wasn't like, let's do blood wow. tests. Let's do... If they would have maybe done blood tests, they would have seen my adrenals were crashing. They would have... Which was really, was that the Addison's disease that was creeping in that caused the heart attack? Yeah, that's what it was. Um, because the night I went into the hospital, I was, a few nights before the hospitalization, I had an event here. And it was a drumming circle. And when the organizer arrived at the door, it took me, and this is the point I was at, it was at over a week before the hospital hospitalization, I was no longer eating. I had lost, I think, over 60 or 80 pounds. Um, my skin had turned so brown, so, so brown. Uh, people thought I was, you know, tanning every single day. And it was like, well, really? you know, Margo, um, the tanning beds aren't good for you. And it was like, I'm not tanning. Like, I'm just there's no explanation why I'm turning, I'm, my skin is pigmenting so dark. There was no, like all these strange things that when I went to the hospital, I don't know, to me, it should have been like, I, I don't know. It's like, you guys should have asked more questions or, but that's all hindsight. Like, I, I don't know. I had to do a lot of release work and forgiveness work over that because it's like, it happened. Um, did they do their job? I don't know. Uh, who's to blame? Who's not to blame? Um, I had to get over that. But to me, it was like very frustrating being in that space when it was happening. Um, and those ladies came in and that day that they arrived, I could not, it, it had been weeks. Like I couldn't get off the couch. I, I, I slept pretty much, I don't know, 20 hours a day. Like I, Wow. I would get up, I would go milk the cows, which was so difficult. You know, you wake up and you're already exhausted from putting on a pair of socks. Like that's your day's work and you can go to bed for another six hours. <laughs> wow, like deep fatigue. 
at a cellular yeah. level that I've never experienced in my life and that is very difficult to explain to someone who's never experienced that level of exhaustion. Mm. Um, yeah. So, yeah. I, and so this was, so you were giving the retreats, but this was all sort of beginning to unfold um, all at the same time. Yeah. And, um, yeah. And put you on a path of, of healing and really taking back your own, your own health mm. is what from your details of your story that it felt like to me, um, that was quite evident. And you, you said you sometimes prayed that you wouldn't wake up. What kept you resilient? Um, I don't know. Some nights it was like, I'm done. I, I have no energy left to fight because I just, I, I can't anymore. Um, and then some days was just like, I'm going to have a story to say one day and, and just need to hang on. Cause <laughs> and, and so just need to hang on. Yeah. Just... Yeah. And I think for me, when I'm reading your story, um, the turning point where it felt like were you talking, you, you described so beautifully looking out at the moon one night in the <laughs> middle of the night and you felt like it was drawing you out mm. and you said you literally went out in your t-shirt and underwear <laughs> and you lied on the cool gravel with the moon shining down on mm -hmm. you. And you talked about the sounds of the animals and the rhythmic chewing. And you said that it felt like mother nature was holding her arms around me that night mm. and a sense of gratitude washed over you. And you began contemplating rather than worrying. And what struck me with your statement as the moon shone, shone its light of hope down on me. It was like it was telling me that everything was going to be okay. And through this beautiful connection with Mother Nature herself, I allowed myself to believe it. What what happened in that moment that it, it almost felt magical, mystical, spiritual? Yeah, I think it was just the connecting to something bigger than me, connecting to something more. Was that the first time you felt it? Um, I mean, I've always been connected to nature. I've always loved nature. I've always been, you know, I'm never mind the city. Give me the country. Give me, you know, like that's always been who I am. Uh, but I think since I started getting sick, there was a big disconnect from me to everything around me. Because I couldn't, living in that constant state of exhaustion, you can't connect to other things because the only focus you have is to, you know, don't, well, the last few weeks was like, okay, don't forget to take that breath. Like, don't forget to breathe. Don't forget to breathe. I was afraid to go to sleep at night because I'm afraid that, well, am I going to forget to breathe when I'm sleeping? Like, it was there was so much going on that all I could do was struggle to hang on. Um, so I think I just got disconnected. Like the animals had become, I don't want to say a burden, but to be in that state of exhaustion and have to take care of them and to take care of a house and a dairy farm and just everything was just so overwhelming that I think I lost that sense of of being connected to something greater than me because the only thing you can focus on is yourself in those moments, right? Cause you're just, you're struggling for life basically. Right. So, and what do you think happened when you were lying on that cool gravel and you could feel the, 
the I assume that you could feel the connection for the first time in a long time. What did that do for you? Yeah, I think it was just a, being more in a peaceful state, you know, versus lying in bed all night, not being able to sleep, worrying about just everything. How am I going to... That part, that time, I think it was the MS diagnosis. And in that particular instance, I was numb from the neck down. I didn't have any, barely any muscle function. Um, So that was a very difficult time too, because I mean, I saw myself as always being the strong farm girl I can go to the barn, I can throw an 85-pound bag of feed over my shoulder and go feed animals and haul hay bales and do whatever I need to do. And here I am. Um, I can't feel my body. It doesn't function. I lift a fork and it feels like I'm trying to lift 100 pounds and I can't lift a fork. Um, I can barely dress myself. Um, I can't tell if I have to go to the washroom or not. So you're peeing in your pants because you can't feel anything. Um, so I think being in that state and for me personally, and I'm sure there must be other people out there when I go to bed, there's something about that, the darkness and the quiet that makes my mind just run away. It's like the thoughts just like (laughs) come out to play. Take over. (laughs) Like, yeah, funny how that is. (laughs) And the worry begins, right? And we stay up all night. And it does. And it does. And that's where I feel um, when I go to bed, uh, even now, I go to bed and when I calm down and it's like, okay, you're in bed, then you feel all the aches and the pains and the numbness and all that stuff going on in your body. But the mind is still fully active and okay. So your mind takes off with all these scenarios and these worst case and just (laughs) all of it. It's so true. And I I think that was a pretty profound um, moment, though, when Mm. you're there with the moon. And I think there's a difference between lying in bed still and being it's like your body was in it was present. You were present. It was. There was presence was. in your body. Yeah. In, in you was an inward journey versus the outward one, you know, that we take when we lie in our beds and hope to go to sleep peacefully. Yeah, and there was just other stuff. I mean, the moon, I've always loved the moon. It was out. It was full. It was, there was just something special about that night that just, I don't know, it's like I was able to exhale for the first time in a long time and just feel that it okay, it happened. Um, And I know we say, and some of us like to say, you know, everything happens for a reason, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, yeah, I know it did happen for a reason, but I I feel it's going to be okay. Like it's eventually going to be okay. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, it's fine. There's something bigger than me out here at play. Um, And I've always, I don't know, believe that you're not handed stuff you can't handle. But sometimes when you're in the depth of it, it feels like you cannot handle this. Like, (laughs) you know, true. Right. Um, Mm. And it's not because I didn't have, I mean, spiritually, I've been trying stuff and studying all sorts of things for 20 years. So it's not like I didn't have the knowledge 
of what to do. But I think when you're faced with something like that, um, it's harder. It's easier to say when you're talking to somebody else than it is when you're going through something. Mm, true. Mm. True. When do you think you began to truly heal? That felt like a turning point for me, but it, 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 do you remember when you felt like you truly began to heal? Um, after the surgery that was in November, that was the last, I call it my last straw, um, in November, 2015. And it was like this huge depression after that. It was just like, I can't, I can't take any more. And in the spring, I was like, I need to do something to motivate me to still be here and get productive and do something like I can't just, I need to make sense of what happened to me. I need to figure this out. I need to heal. I need, and I was on Facebook one day and a girl that I sort of an acquaintance was organizing a tour in Iceland. And I've always wanted to go to Iceland. I love traveling. That is my probably one of the biggest love of my life. And I haven't done a lot of it in the past 10 years. Um, so I think when I decided to sign up for that trip and I went the next fall, it was like, I'm traveling again. Everything is okay. I'm traveling and it feels so good and it feels alive. And it's like, there's, there's a purpose. There's, you need to heal. You need to do more of this. You need to take yourself in Take your health in hand, your mental health, your, you know, start doing yoga, start doing different things, experiment, explore, figure out what feels good, figure out what doesn't. What feels good for one person isn't necessarily the same thing for another, right? Um, mm. So it was just... I think you're making a great point because you, you talk about how, you know, you're finally out of depression and that somewhere in that space, you had the thought of, I have to figure this out and, and begin moving toward what feels good. Mm. And you detail in your story in the Great Canadian Woman book, um, you know, some of the things that you did and you just referred to them. One of them you said was yoga and you said it, it was a small step toward healing mm. And I, well, I had someone else on the podcast in episode 60, Christine Ward, Ward, who is a, a yoga instructor who also had MS. And she really spoke to the power of how that helped her. And I'm curious, why do you think yoga had such a profound effect on your body or your healing? What is it about yoga? I think it's just connecting with your body in a very quiet and slow, intentional way. For me, anyways, I can only speak for myself. Um, yeah, but it was, yeah. I mean, I, at this point, I couldn't even sit in a car. I would sit in a car and all my legs would cramp up. Like it was like very painful cramps. Like I couldn't, I'd wake up in the morning and I couldn't stretch my legs because everything was in cramps. Everything was like, it was just this very painful, miserable existence, really like cons constantly tired. You can't do anything. You can't, it was just and it was like, well, you know what? Maybe I should do yoga. And I went for one trial session. She said, come in for a trial session. I love the space. It was a tiny space, cozy in the basement with eight mm -hmm. people. So it was, to me, it felt very soothing, very supportive, um, just a beautiful healing space. And I went and I started after that first trial session, I did five days a week. And within a month... 
I had no more muscle spasms and cramps and flexibility was returning. And I think that was helping like flexibility in your brain, flexibility in your body, just, I don't know, there's an all around help benefit to that, that I truly benefited from. I like that you said fl- not flexibility in your body, but flexibility in your brain, mm. your mind. I thought mm, that's interesting. I haven't heard that before. Uh, what, what can you say more about that? Because I think that's interesting. Flexibility in your mind by doing yoga. Well, I personally, I think sometimes I'm probably not the only one again, but I think we get into the space where. I don't know, you get into a habit, your mind gets into a habit of you do things a certain way, we're habitual creatures, right? So it's like, well, your days are pretty much, I mean, we do the same thing every day, right? Pretty much. Um, You get into a routine, Mm -hmm. you get into this. So sometimes it's like, I think your minds need to be expanded and stretched. and, And for me, it was just, I don't know, new teachers, a new space, uh, the new some of the friends that I made there, some most people I already knew, but hadn't been in touch with in a while, because when you're sick, like you don't have, it's, you don't have the energy for your usual socializing and doing whatever you used right. to do. Um, so I think in that regards, it just expanded everything. Um, and it was fun because one night my yoga teacher, um, asked me to go to a concert. She was like, do you listen to country music? And I said, yeah, I do, actually. And she said, oh, well, we have a friend and he sings country music. Do you want to come with us? We have tickets. So I was like, yeah. So we ended up at the Tim Hicks concert in Moncton. And it was just to be out there dancing. And I don't know, that just sort of revived me because it was like we were socializing and at a you know, at a concert and all this stuff. And it was just being taken out of your normal everyday routine. Mm. And I think that was, I think that's an important message. Yeah. I really think it is because I'm really hearing you were, you were, you were almost felt like you were in a rut. All you thought about was your illness. Mm. And once you began shifting, you came back to life, you know, doing something simple as yoga where Mm. you made your body flexible, but it was so much more than that. It was getting in touch with other people. It was you're, what you said. It's just about expansion. Yeah. And, and it puts you on a new path. And I don't think it needs to be huge moves. Like you don't have to Good pack point. up your whole house and move to a different country to do something different. Right. Like I don't, so I don't feel it needs. I just went, I started yoga classes five minutes down the road. You know, like it wasn't. That's all it took to make the shift. <laughs> and yeah. I loved it and it benefited me. So I went five days a week because that's all I could do because I couldn't work really in that time yet. And I wasn't. So it was like, you know what? You're going to be sitting at home pouting all depressed or go to yoga class for an hour. So get your butt to yoga class. <laughs> And what a powerful step that was. It was. The the other thing that um, stood out to me in your healing journey is the idea that words have healing power. And you said you stopped referring to your condition as my MS. Mm-hmm. You did not want to identify with it. Why was this important to you in your healing journey? Uh, because I feel energetically I was hanging on to it. 
my MS, my, 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 it's not my, it happened to me because of specific situations or stressful events. Um, I got through it. I've not had another huge flare up since I still have like residual uh, numbness in my hands and my feet at the moment, but I'm like, it's, <laughs> it's going to go, it's going to go. Um, but it yes. was like, I don't, I don't want to hang on to it because it was becoming an excuse for the things that I wasn't doing. You know, oh, well, mm-hmm. I can't do this because of my MS and I can't do that because of my MS and blah, blah. And it's like, no, you know what? Just stop it. Like you're not, it's not yours. It came for a visit. It can go <laughs> like, let it go. Um, <laughs> I like that. Yes. <laughs> Here's the door. <laughs> exactly. Right. Um, but I feel like you took um, control. Like it feels like you freed yourself from it by using the word. And I, I agree. Words have power. Yeah, I think they do. And I think energetically, it was just one of those things that it was like, I don't want to associate with being with with it like that like hanging on to it and nurturing it and nurturing that that illness and giving it all that power and it was like no I'd rather it... yeah I don't know it was just like one of those no you're not mine like... yeah. <laughs> I don't own no. you right like, and you don't own yeah, me right like you don't own me either right and it's yeah, funny because yeah, I think that's a powerful message. Yeah, and a lot of people will see me and be like, "Oh my God, you don't look sick." And it's like that was one, <laughs> which is perfect. <laughs> it is, but that I think that was a huge struggle when I was in the depths of all of these diagnoses. Um, was that you don't look sick, so. I don't think people know how to nurture you and take care of you as much as somebody that has something in a cast. Right. You don't look broken. You don't look broken. Right. So let's Mm. just get over it. And everything happens for a reason. Let's get over it. Let's keep going. Let's whatever you're tough. You'll get over it. It's like I need, and that's not nobody's fault. I don't want to say that what that my friends or family were bad because that's how they treated this. It was just that, and ah, I, I mean, I'm guilty of this before I was sick too. Um, mm. it, you kind of brush it off because you don't you don't see it, so you don't understand what other people are going through necessarily. It's like anyone with mental health issues or you know these invisible illnesses and stuff like that. Um, And I think this also going through all of this has also helped me um, in terms of hosting events, how to hold space for my teachers, um, facilitators, their clients, anyone that comes here uh, for me to be able to to do a better job holding space for people, uh, because I think it gave me a little bit of a better understanding what some people are going through having gone through all of that. Hmm. And I think what you're pointing to is another step in your journey, what you talk about in your story is your emotional health Mm. and the importance of that. And you said, once you saw some physical progress, you regained some clarity, then you could focus on your emotional health, which you admit uh, you believe was the root of your decline in the first Mm. place. Can you shed some insight on that connection between your emotional health and your physical health? 
that you can understand? Um, my understanding of it with all the studying I've been doing and research and personal experience, I think the more you shut down emotionally instead of being able to speak your truth, speak your emotions, um, move your emotions through your body, uh, you shut down. I know I'm, I don't like confrontations. So when things bother me, I will, I, I just shut it down. I'll just keep it in, mm. shut it down, push it down. Um, and I think some things get too big to get stuffed down and just stay silent and they will explode. Things will explode. And sometimes in the form of illness. And a lot of times in the form of illness. Many yeah. times because it needs yeah. that energy. I feel that energy needs somewhere to go. Um, you know, and now um, when something comes up and upsets me, I try to get to my journal right away. And uh, <laughs> I love Anne Birube, you know her. She's always like, where's that feeling reside inside of you? So <laughs> I'll journal that. Get it out. Exactly. <laughs> like, what does it yeah. feel like? What does it, I don't know, what color is it? What does it feel like? Where is it sitting? Why does it hurt so much? Why am I so angry? Why? And just trying to process it so it doesn't stay there. Process. And is that your go-to way of processing the emotions is journaling? Um, yeah, I do a lot of journaling. It might not be the mm -hmm. only it's way, um, but I do a lot of journaling. I've started listening to a lot of different like podcasts. I do audio books and stuff like that now because I love reading. But in summer is our busy time and I don't have time. So I started audio books, which I love. So I can just put that on in the background when I'm doing something. And because I always like to learn new things. Um, I mean, there's always something to learn. So I think that's just for me anyways. I love that. And um, and I think my mind, I, I need to work on my mind and that emotional health and mental health. Um, and yeah, but it's been it's been quite the journey. Like. <laughs> It's just so whirlwind. Yes, it is. I, I love what you say. You said, closing myself off to the pain closed me off from feeling everything. Mm -hmm. And in order for me to truly heal, I needed to feel it mm -hmm. all. And I think, you know, what encouragement do you have for people to feel it all? Because when we feel the pain, it hurts. It hurts to have to face it. And so what encouragement would you give to someone listening who's feeling like they're in a lot of pain, you know, emotionally and dealing with with that, having your own personal experience of having to come through that. To, and I know this is easier probably said than done, um, but to try to find somebody that will support you in the way that you need support. Mm. I needed support. I just, right. I needed people around me. That's how I am. I love some people don't like to be surrounded by people and be alone some people like so you really it was really a a discovery of myself my values what I love what I don't love what I need um and one of my needs was to be surrounded by supportive people and I think a lot of people going through something like this like at least one supportive person or or something and groups I mean <sighs> I think groups are touchy. I think there's some great groups out there. 
support groups, others maybe not as much um, to your discretion. That was the first thing that the nurse um, in the MS department told me when I was diagnosed. She said, you be careful what groups you join online because she said some of them will keep you where you are. All you're going to do is is talk about the illness and talk. So she's like, I would just, that would be my tip, would be to be careful what groups you join. So I think having a group or a support, something to help you, but to be very conscious of what that is, because you don't want to stay in that place, right? You don't want to unpack your bags and just stay there. You right. want, and I think that's an important point: is get the support that you that need, you you know. And I think that that calls calls on all of us to go inward and ask ourselves, what do I need right mm-hmm. now? It does because we don't. Mm-hmm. And I learned that because I was I was working for my aunt one afternoon uh, at their store, and I was by myself. I was journaling, and this gentleman walked in, and he started chatting. And oh, you look kind of old to be doing homework. And I said, oh, well, I'm just writing it's my therapy. Um, and I'm writing a book. Mm-hmm. And so we started chatting about the illness and stuff. And he said, Oh, well, I had been very, very ill. And he said, my, um, what helped me heal was golfing. He said, I stopped playing golf, um, being competitive when I played. And I go every morning to play a round of golf somewhere. And I don't get the cart. And I just walk the course and do it for fun. And he said, that is where I found my healing. So that's where I realized that we're not all cookie cutters. So yoga is not going to work for everyone. And journaling is not going to work for everyone and whatever. Right. So you really have to find that what you need because we're so individual. Um, so true. You know, so what, what you need, what I need, what anyone listening and really try to find um, somebody that speaks to that or that can support you, whether if that's a person or a friend or a group or a therapist or, I don't know, somebody online that you can listen to their videos that you love and that will motivate you and just, yeah. Mm, so true. There's so many ways, so many avenues, mm. but not to not to give up finding the thing that's going to turn everything on. Exactly. For you. And I mean, it's not going to happen overnight. You're not going to heal. Some people might, um, but I know mine. I mean, it wasn't just one thing. So it was like a whole. <laughs> right. Yeah. Had a few things going on. Yeah. yeah. One big mishmash yeah. of things. So, um, and I mean, I'm still on the journey and I still find myself saying, well, you know, I'm not a hundred percent healed. So I have nothing to bring to the table. I have nothing to say because I didn't heal a hundred percent. And it's like, well, I don't know, maybe you can help one person, like maybe, you know, just let that go. Like I need to get out of my head and just. Sounds like the old inner <laughs> critic uh, seeping back in from 2015, know. you know. <laughs> <laughs> so quickly we go back to these old ways. I know. know. It's so the true. old patterns are hard to break. <laughs> the, uh, that's an important message too, though, right? To always be, you know, being engaged with yourself with presence and, and asking yourself what's, what's important to me? What do I want? Mm-hmm. Which I think brings me to my next point where you talk about the other thing that you did was reconnect to your soul. Mm-hmm. 
But part of that is you talk about feeling lonely, even though you would laugh with friends, Mm. you know, you could go out and you could laugh, but you still felt lonely. What did you come to discover about loneliness in this process? Oh, wow. Um, I think I felt when I was in it, I felt lonely because I felt like nobody understood what I was going through. Like I said earlier, I wasn't in a cast. So people couldn't come to the house and be like, oh, let me let me help you with this because I can't get up or I can't like. So I think that was a really big struggle. And I think there's a huge difference between being lonely and loneliness or being alone and loneliness. Um, mm-hmm. Because sometimes when you surround yourself with not exactly the right people, I think it can feel much lonelier than when you're just alone by yourself and doing things by yourself. Um, And I mean, my friends were amazing. They did the best they could. But sometimes I think that loneliness was just when I was surrounded by people that I felt like didn't didn't get it. and especially maybe more like family too, especially in the beginning before I had an actual diagnosis. Um, it was, you know, the family was diagnosing me and my partner. Well, well you're just being lazy because you don't want to work. <laughs> and it's like, well, am I that lazy? But then it was like, well, I struggle wow. getting out of bed in the morning. Like I can't even get out of bed. Um so it was, it really was a huge fight between my mind and my body and just everything for a few years. And it was just, it, it, it really was that survival mode for a few years that it was like, I just, mm. yeah. But I think there's, there's a difference between being lonely and lo- like the loneliness that you feel alone. and just being alone with yourself and discovering yourself and. Um, so I think I, I was able to live some of that and learn that it's okay to be by myself and to go dig deep. And yeah, you're going to find stuff, but you need to heal stuff and you need to understand yourself and you need to connect to yourself because if you're not connected to yourself, then you're going to be way, it's going to be much easier to throw you off your center and mm. get you into another scenario like this or another illness or another whatever it be just comes up in a different yeah. way. Yeah. The disconnect with yourself. Yeah. And I think, I, th- I think if anything, the part of the mm-hmm. journey, your healing journey that stuck out that, that struck me was really this reconnection to my soul. And you said, I made a decision that I would reconnect to my soul, reconnect with my body and reconnect with my passion and joy for mm. life. I made the decision that I wanted to thrive in the face of illness. And you asked yourself, what does Margot desire? Mm. And you actually came up with some answers and you referred to it earlier. Your part of it was your travel mm-hmm. that you love. These are things that brought you alive. Mm-hmm. So what happened within you when you actually did what you desire? I feel I just, it, it's a different, I come out of my shell. There's something I feel alive. It's like the, I get on a plane and go somewhere. Like right now I'm sitting here. My hands are a bit numb. My toes are numb. I feel that. I get on a plane and I draw, I land somewhere. There's no numbness. There's nothing. I can be gone for a week or two. There's nothing. I feel alive. I manifest like there's no tomorrow. Um, The stuff I've manifested the last few years after 2015 when I was traveling was just, 
I, I mean, I'm still amazed at the stuff that came up, like the experiences, the people you meet, the, and I think traveling for me encompasses all those things I love. And I love meeting people and chatting with people and seeing new places and experiencing new things. So that's all encompassed in going somewhere. Um, and I know I can do that here. I should do a little bit more of it, but I just, I don't know. I love seeing the world and going a bit further and, uh, discovering new places. And it just brings me alive in a way that, that nothing else can. And I think that's why I need, I need people here to share what I'm creating because when I have people here, it brightens me and it fills me up and I get energized and I feel more creative and I just, I love it. So it's sort of bringing a little bit of my travels to my home. <laughs> to home. <Yeah. laughs> I, I get that. <laughs> and, and I think you made a powerful statement when you're talking about the things that you love, like traveling and connecting with people and having mm. these soulful conversations. He says, doing the, these things does for you what no amount of medication can do. No. It's true healing at its core, not drugs to cover up the symptoms of a life unlived. Mm -hmm. I thought that was a powerful statement, a life unlived. Mm. Right. Yeah. And I think brings you totally like you said out of your show yeah and that's what i mean that really is what it is right um we could probably be here for hours uh diving deeper deeper into this but <laughs> i think when we stop ourselves from doing stuff that we love at the core we're we're stopping ourselves from moving forward and I'm losing my word. There's a word I want for this. I can't get it. Like when you move forward in life and you, it's not like develop, but you're, you're creating yourself, you're generating energy, you're moving forward, you're creating, you're, you're saying yes to the little things, can be very little things that light you up. You say yes to this. It leads to something else. It energizes you. It motivates all these things. But when you start saying no and you start getting into a little rut and you start being routine and you, I think you shut it down. Like you shut down that mm. energy. You shut down that, like all of it. And, you know, all those desires that we have and all those dreams that we have and all those things, I think they're all there for a reason. And when you start saying no mm. and when you stop going after them, and you stop creating, um, I think that's really where, you know, that plus stress or whatever, the illnesses just, they reside, they take up residency in your body. And, mm. and then what do we do? We go to the doctor. And you, want them well, out. you want them out, but we don't go in emotionally. We right. go to the doctor. That's how we die that. Yeah. You know, like I go to the doctor, they had me full of medications after 2015. I was like a walking pharmacy and I never took any pills before that. I wouldn't even take Tylenol for a headache. And here I am with like a baggie full of pills and it would drive me nuts because it was like that. There's so, I knew there was something more to it than just physically being ill. There was way more to it. I knew that, but it was like, how do I explain it? How can I explain what I know inside of me? Um, and a few years ago, I discovered um, the biological laws of nature 
And I started studying that. Um, and that's led me to a lot of revelations and a lot of inner work and a lot of moving stuff out and the work I do with Anne and the work. And it's like really tapping into that emotional part of it. And some people might say, oh, that's all, you know, a crock of, you know, shit. Um, emotions and energy and that doesn't matter. You're sick, you're sick. Well, I think it does. And I felt a lot better when you process that stuff. And I've been working with amazing teachers. Um, so it's, I mean, I've been doing dabbling in a lot of different things. So, but I think the energetic work is very important to do too, to be able to get through an illness. What does your healing look like now? Where are you on your journey? Uh, right now, it looks like, well, I'm doing a lot of, like I said, energetic work, I'm trying to clear up some stuff, clear up patterns in my genealogy. I'm working on that with a lady from France. Um, so that's a huge, that's a big step for me. Um, mentally, I'm doing the retreats and I'm loving it because that fuels me every time I have some. Um, I know this spring hasn't been the best for it, but we've come up with a different way of maybe doing retreats for the fall. So we're um, coming out with that um, this week, announcing my dates, and I'm just going to do little gatherings with friends. So you pick your friends and you come here. So it's not like a retreat where we mm. gather strangers. So I think that's going to help with the energy and motivation and just sort of get me creating again. Well, it has because I'm creating for the event. So that's been fun. Um, I'm trying to study more uh, the permaculture and biodynamic, really get into food. Because um, I just, mm -hmm. I love food. So it doesn't matter what's in front of me. I'm like, I know I should be eating healthier, but it doesn't matter what gets put in front of me. I just eat something. <laughs> <laughs> We're all guilty. I, I know. So I'd love to say my diet is impeccable right now, but it's not. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so true but, and, and when you refer to your retreats let's tell people a little bit about your business so you know it is maven hill farm mm -hmm. that you found in 2018 <laughs> and you created what you call where small intimate groups can come together to connect with nature animals and themselves mm -hmm. and and so people would rent your space if they want to if they were facilitators and want to conduct a session there or what other things that you use your space uh, We for? have, well, the space uh, consists of, I call it the main farmhouse. So that's the house that I live in. Um, so a facilitator or teachers or something. Uh, I can host small groups, like maybe 10, 15 people maximum. So you'd rent like my, my home, the main farmhouse. And I'm here to help. I stay here to help the facilitator or the teacher. So if anybody needs anything, I'm around. I might not always be in the house. Um, like you tell me when you want your breaks and lunch. Sometimes they get it catered. Sometimes they bring food with them. If they bring food, I'll plate everything for them at whatever time they want it. I clean up the dishes for people. Um, and it's just really a nice little spot. And the animals are here. I have a small alpaca farm here uh with 13 alpacas right now we just had a baby last night 
and two horses. <laughs> well, I didn't do much work. <laughs> Mama. Yeah. You got the yeah. joint. <laughs> now the, the real mama doesn't want to breastfeed, so I get to bottle feed for the next six months. So yeah. <laughs> oh, how adorable. And I'm sure you'll share some of those pictures if you want to follow along on her Instagram or Facebook. She always has beautiful pictures <laughs> of her farm. Yeah, they're so. they're on there. Um, and uh yeah, and then I have um a guest house. So we've taken one of the the staff houses from the dairy farm because it's all family now that works and we all have our own homes. So I took that and I've turned it into Airbnb, uh, but also um, accommodations for when I host my retreats. So people are on the farm and you can just walk up the driveway and come to the main house and just hang out here. And we have like acres of fields so people can walk if they want to walk or make that part of the retreat. There's wood lots in the back. There's the marsh, all sorts of nice things. And it's basically just my vision years ago was to create a space that wasn't in the city um, because I had gone to a lot of stuff. Mm. I did a retreat for one weekend and it was like living in the heart sacred geometry we were talking about nature connecting to your heart space and we're in a hall with no windows in the city and for breaks you have to sit in a parking lot that's paved and it was like how how can we be learning about nature and all this sacredness and the connection when we're so still disconnected from it that was my so the main farmhouse has huge windows and it's like, I just wanted to connect. When you open the front door, you can walk right out to the grass. You can walk like the animals are out here as close as I can get them to the house. When I look out a window, I want to see animals like the alpacas or the horses or the cows or whatever. And so that was my goal to create a space where, and I know there's a lot more of these spaces popping up now. Uh, but that was the vision like years ago before I started was like a space where people could just get out of the city. And, you know, this space might be a little different because I have the animals. Other spaces might not have animals. But and then I eventually want to be able to grow food here for the retreats that I'm going to be putting on. Um, and I'd love to have, like so many ideas. I'd love to get local chefs involved and in the fall like I would raise all my own meat and veggies and then in the fall have like farm to table events and all sorts of stuff so stay tuned for what's coming next year sounds like a beautiful <laughs> yeah <vision>. yeah <laughs> a beautiful vision indeed yeah um if people are interested in finding the book where can they find it to read your story and stories of other women as yeah. well great Canadian There's women 13 co-authors in the book so we all have a chapter, 13 or 14, 14 maybe. Um, so you can go on Amazon, has them, uh, the ebooks and the physical copies. And mm -hmm. I believe chapters in Halifax has them. And I'm going to be, chapters in Moncton just told me yesterday that they would be accepting them. So I'm going to drop them off awesome. this afternoon in chapters. So Moncton should have them soon on the shelves and you're or here your business is located in or which is Memram Cook. Cook. yeah yeah for anyone local yes, that wants yeah. to come for a visit I have books here at the farm mm -hmm. yeah so true 
Last few mm-hmm. questions. You know, clearly your resilience. <laughs> how, how would you define resilience? Oh, I think it's the ability to shift with what is handed to you. How would you define healing? When you're able to move from where you are to where you want to be. Mm. And not stay there. Because it would have been so easy to stay there. (laughs) True. So true. Um, What have you learned about the power of being you? Hmm. There's nothing like it and there's nobody else like you. So I need to learn what makes me tick, what I love, what turns me on, what makes me feel passionate, what makes me come alive and follow those breadcrumbs. And what has become abundantly clear to you? Um, that the environment that made you sick will not make you heal. In order to heal, I think we really need to get out of our comfort zones and push forward. And lastly, what does the world need most? <laughs> the world needs more people connected to themselves. Because when you know what you stand for and you know who you are, I, I think we're lost. There's a lot of, we're, we're lost souls. <laughs> There's a lot of disconnect. Well, thank you for um, sharing some insight on how to get reconnected mm. to your soul, to your body. Um, I'm sure there are people listening that some of the things that you've gone through, uh, both from an illness and from a healing standpoint, that will resonate. So I really appreciate you sharing your story and your insight today, Marco. You're very welcome. It was a pleasure. That was such a great conversation. If you loved it too, subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss an episode. Please go to iTunes to rate and review this podcast. And if you want to continue the conversation, connect with Soul Sister Conversations on the Facebook and Instagram pages. You can also find me on Instagram and Facebook at Dana Lloyd Leadership, on Twitter at Coach Dana underscore Lloyd, and of course on LinkedIn. See you next week.